Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and this is where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter, Built by Scott, and Instagram at King O'Kane, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page, Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to empower and inspire a community of people who take every opportunity to live a high-performing life. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. If you're in human performance today, you recognize that the industry has changed. Gone are the days of highly focused specialists who live in their isolated lanes, working without the understanding of the whole human being. The world of human performance is about integration today. It's about recognizing what your client needs to do to perform at their highest potential, discovering the parts of the puzzle of performance that need work, while keeping this person moving, training, performing, and succeeding seamlessly. Reconditioning is an operating system for this new world of human performance. The practice honors the role of each specialization and helps define the most powerful and tactical use of interventions that will make a difference. You don't take your car to the garage only when it's broken. You schedule for regular maintenance so that it keeps running smoothly when you need it. The human body is no different and reconditioning professionals are those best prepared to keep the human body running. Check out our courses at ReconditioningHQ.com today. Follow our robust educational programming and become the reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. It's been four years that Leave Your Mark has been up and running. And during these four years, uh, we've had a fantastic podcast sponsor in Matrix Fitness. I have to thank Greg Lawler for his commitment to this podcast and his commitment and his team's commitment to what we're trying to do is helping you in the community see and listen to some of the best in the business of human performance. And to talk about the best in the business, well, right back at Matrix Fitness, they are the best in the business at what they do, and they serve uh, the continuum of human performance from the day-to-day person who is looking just to stay fit and, uh, and to aspire to be healthy to the person who wants to be out uh, performing at their best in an athletic endeavor. They have all the equipment that spans that continuum. They're ready to help you, the practitioner, or you, the person who wants to build your at-home facility or a facility or an institutional facility to have success with your clients or with yourself. So I encourage you to take a look at their products. Head over to teamupwithmatrix.ca today and check out what they're doing. They have outstanding equipment and outstanding customer service. So once again, thank you to Matrix for supporting Leave Your Mark and take some time today to check them out. Wow, what's going on at ReconditioningHQ.com these days is insane. Uh, you can find the entire R1 Foundations course online and available to digest at your leisure. The R2 Designs course is right there as well, fully loaded. R3 Collab is a combination of online material all about the neurological system and then a live laboratory where we dive deep on everything reconditioning. These three courses walk you through the process of reconditioning all the information and what we've done now is we've attached to all of this a mastermind community and when you're in the mastermind community it's 20 bucks a month uh, and you have access to weekly meetings that we're going to be doing on case studies 
all kinds of gem material from things that we've done, uh, guest presenters, guest interviews. We have Matt Jordan coming up in a few weeks, Nick Ward from Altus coming in a few weeks as well. So we've got some outstanding people coming as guests in the future. We are basically in that mastermind combining uh, revolving eight-week labs for each of those courses. So they're cycling through. We're going to do eight weeks and take a break to another eight weeks. So if you're in R1 and you want to come in and learn while you're in the mastermind, we have meetings once a week for an hour to go through the material. So it keeps you accountable, allows you to touch base with what you've learned, ask your questions. It really allows you to dive deep on all the information. On top of that, because the world is starting to open up a little bit, we are going to have our first live lab in Montreal, May 14th, 15th for R1 Foundations. And effectively, what we're going to do is when you purchase a course, you have all that material online. You have access to the mastermind and the community material and the community learning. And then you can come with to this meeting on the weekend for two days and just dive deep on how to play with all the information. And so it's not a, a, a teaching lab as much as it is a learning lab, a trying lab, a context lab. And that's what we've got uh, big time for everybody these days. And then on top of that, the International Hockey Performance Summit is pivoted to virtual June 10 to 12. All the powerful content, we have kept it all in there. We've revised the curriculum. You can go online, take a look at it. The SCAF Summit pre-summit is going to be there too. So three days of incredible information is going to be available to you. If you have an interest in hockey performance or foundationally the people People who are speaking at this thing are the top of the world at what they do. So you're going to take away whether it's hockey related or just training and performance related. It's there for you. So come and join us uh, virtually. It's all there for the taking. And then on top of that, if you are interested in ski performance training and you want to learn to train to train uh, or train to compete with your athletes that you're working with off snow, I am doing a ski program, a workshop on April 23rd, 24th in Mont-Tremblant, Quebec. It is also virtual as well. So it's live and virtual. It's a hybrid event. You can jump on that and that's available right now. Going to be dropping the hammer on that April 23rd, 24th. So uh, look forward to having you with us in anything we're doing reconditioning today. Head over to reconditioninghq.com to check out all our offerings. As an avid listener of the Leave Your Mark podcast, I'm sure you recognize the process that I take our guests through in learning about their lives and understanding what it is taken for them to become the professionals and the successes that they've had in their lives and effectively there's a lot of learning that we go through and everybody that I talk to talks about mentorship and influential people in their lives and the podcast has always been my offering to the community at large uh, for you to see and learn from the insights of others. But now what I'm doing is uh, at the beginning of May I am launching the Leave Your Mark Life Lab, and this is going to be my stewardship process for helping you become the professional you want to be through mentorship, through reflection, through directed conversation, giving you skills, providing accountability, 
and talking about your progress and inside a group of people who are all trying to do the same thing, providing you with a, a lens uh, of, of reflection on yourself and the things that you want to accomplish and recognize that you need to put as much into yourself as you do into others. And this industry is crazy when it comes to us taking care of everybody else but not taking care of ourselves. So I want to change that. That's what the LYM Life Lab is all about. I encourage you to head over to the Leave Your Mark website, which is lymlab.com. Check out what we're offering in the LYM Life Lab section. You can also download two free videos that I created that are a starter kit to this process and looking at creating change in your life. And I would be remiss if I didn't say, hey, grab yourself a hat while you're there because Leave Your Mark hats are sick lids if I do say so myself. And lastly, I want to uh, invite you to check out the latest episodes and please take the time to go over and leave a comment, leave a rating on your favorite streaming service because it helps us get out to more people. So without further ado, let's get on to the podcast. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston and today I have the honor of speaking with Sean Muldoon. Sean is currently the VP of Performance for the Seattle Sounders of the MLS. Sean joined the Seattle Sounders performance staff during the 2016 season as an assistant strength and conditioning coach, sports scientist, then spent three and a half years as head strength and conditioning coach before being promoted to his current role. In addition to his day-to-day responsibilities, Sean organizes the annual Sounders Sports Science Seminar. The 2020 virtual sports science seminar raised over $45,000 for the Sounders COVID-19 Relief Fund. Featured speakers from the U.S. men's national team, Marissa Dortmund, Rangers FC, Everton FC, LA Clippers, Seattle Seahawks, and Seattle Kraken. Prior to joining the Sounders, Sean spent three years with the Charlotte 49ers men's soccer program as the sports performance coach and one year with the Miami Hurricanes men's basketball team as the strength conditioning coach. A native of Chicago, Illinois, Muldoon recently or currently resides in Renton, Washington with his wife, Brooke, four-year-old daughter, Stella, and two-year-old son, Jones. In his spare time, he enjoys cooking, running, practicing Spanish, listening to hip-hop, being involved with the Mankind Project community, and exploring the beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm pleased to have him with me today. Welcome, Sean. Thank you very much for having me. Excited for the conversation. Well, you came... uh, Highly recommended from David Joyce. Um, I know a number of guys in the MLS who are working in different roles, different places, and I know it's a it's a busy league. So I appreciate the fact that you've, I don't even know if you guys actually get a week or two off at some point, and if you do, you probably forget about it very qu- quickly. <laughs> it is a, it is a long season, uh, but but I, I'm happy to be here and uh, happy to have uh, an hour or so to, to chat. So yeah, I, I appreciate you making time for me. So growing up in Chicago, um, as a little boy, what, what, what were your dreams? What did you, what did you want to be as a Chicago kid? Uh, a hundred percent. I wanted to be an Olympian. That was like really? my, wow. yeah, I, I was a, a 400 meter runner and that was, that was what I had set my mind to. Uh, my, I'm, I'm the youngest, uh, I have an older brother and older sister and they're both more athletic uh, than I am. And a couple of years older. So I was always kind of competing with them. Um, and then when I got into track and field, that would just, I, it, it hit something for me deep, uh, that I realized like, this is what I want to do. I love it. Uh, and I was, I, I wanted to be an Olympian. That was, 
I was sure it was going to happen. Uh, unfortunately it didn't, but that was, uh, that was what I set my, set my mind to. Who did you look up to as a 400 meter athlete back in the day or a track athlete in general? Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Warner was the guy who, when I was coming up, he was an, at his peak. Uh, he was also coaching for Baylor, uh, at the time or kind of assistant coaching, volunteer coaching. Uh, and he was like top of the 400 meter game. And as a skinny white guy i i could relate to him so he was he was kind of my idol growing up mm-hmm. as a young as the youngest what did what did you how did your your siblings influence you or challenge you as you were growing up yeah I, they uh they're both uh smarter than i am more accomplished than i am more oh, athletic boy. than i am they they <laughs> everything i thought i could do they do better uh and have my whole life so it was I've always felt like I've been clawing and, and scrapping to, to compete, whether it was again, intellectually, um, or, or athletically. So they, they always pushed me and it was from a point of, of love and, and competition. But I think that relationship between the three of us, we are still very, very close. Um, yeah, it helped me establish that like competition is it's like such a core part of who I am that Mm. I just, I love it. It brings out the best of me. I love those feelings of just uh, like everything I've got to try to, uh, to try to win. Um, and so from a, from an early age, just being able to, to compete with those guys. I mean, we have these long arguments about nothing, uh, but just as we call it like verbal judo, like just to see who can win and, and can like, you know, get into a chess match. So, so those guys just always pushed me my, my whole life, um, because of how, how close we were and just enjoying, uh, being together and, and experiencing the world together. Very cool. Um, did you watch uh, Last Dance? I'm sure your formative years as a athlete and a person would have been spent uh, around those that decade. I'm sure. So I'm sure there was some influence on you watching Mr. Jordan and and that crew in Chicago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, growing up in in Chicago sports in the in the '90s was was incredible. I, I have vivid memories of uh, my mom taking my brother and I to a game a bulls game, uh, during the, during the glory years. And she's quite a rebel, which is, I think where I, I get it from as well. And we had really bad seats cause they're really expensive and we were way up. <laughs> and by the end of the game, she snuck us all the way down, not to court side, but pretty close. Uh, and after every game, Rodman used to throw his Jersey or a towel. And I remember we were down, I caught his towel and he, he was my favorite player. Like he, if I could be an NBA player, it would be Dennis Rodman. Uh, <laughs> And I remember catching his towel and there was a grown man next to me and we both caught the towel and he ripped it out of my hands. And I just remember looking at him like crushed, like I'm a little kid. Uh, and so, I mean, th- that was one of my fondest memories of like, I got Dennis Rodman's towel. That's uh, cool. So but yeah, nice. for sure. Growing up watching the bulls and, uh, the bears and, and cubs for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So which of your parents was more influential on who you've become or, or were, were either of them sort of a driving influence for who you've become? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Both of them. Uh, my parents got divorced fairly early. So I had really uh, independent relationships with both of them. Most of my memories of my family have been with my parents divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll start out with saying my mom is for sure my hero. She's the person I look up to most in, in life. Um, and so seeing her drive and resilience, um, she's a, an immigrant from Cuba, moved uh, during the revolution, uh, eventually came over to the States, uh, had two boys and, and didn't really start her career until her 30s uh, and was able to retire early. She's just a 
just a wonderfully unique person who, I, who I've looked up to just the way she pushes herself and, mm. and really loves everybody and created a, an environment of, of support during some really hectic family times. So she's the one that the kind of no excuses, like just get things done. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that I, that I, it rings really, really true to me. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have my dad, who's uh, Irish American, um, and he's a lot more of the kind of wild, free-spirited thinker, uh, adventurer of of my family. And he always pushed me that you know there is no there's no wrong way to do things that we that we really create our own path, and and there's no blueprint to how things happen. So he's pushed me to to really take risks, be uncomfortable, like listen to my to my gut instinct around things and what, what I feel resonates with me in a way that, um, has allowed much more risks and, um, maybe decisions I wouldn't ordinarily make. Uh, he's pushed me to, to, to be uncomfortable and, and to try something different. Whereas my mom is the, the super practical, like hyper, get everything done. Um, and so they both really influenced me in a way that I, I, mm. I feel super lucky to have parents that um, invested as much time and, and effort into my upbringing as, as they did. That's beautiful. What um, do you ascribe to them? Because we'll get into some of the social justice, social um, you know, connection that you have into your community. But uh, do, does that drive from, from somewhere from them or is that just innate to you? Uh, great question. I'm not sure. I have vivid memories from both of them doing different things. As I, as I said, my mom was, is a Cuban immigrant. So for sure, uh, upbringing in terms of my grandparents and family and just seeing like having the conversations with my grandfather who was 22 at the time of the revolution and, and had to leave Cuba thinking he may never see his family again. And the decisions he made, um, certainly makes me reflect back more on, um, decisions other people have to make in our, if in our community and, um, to, to do what's best for themselves, their family, et cetera, uh, has added a different layer, but my dad did a a ton of work around, um, yeah, religion and social justice work within the Chicagoland community, uh, from a place of conflict resolution. Um, he was a mediator growing up and, uh, within, he left his law practice to become a, a mediator to help with conflict resolution and, and so I was exposed to it, but wasn't necessarily planned on either of them. I think just through learning through how, how they've lived their lives that um, I have a sense of, I feel a sense of responsibility to, to make my time on this earth count uh, and make it purposeful. Awesome. So when does the 400 meter Olympian dream end and you recognize that you got to get a job and do something uh, for a living, so to speak? And how does that transformation occur for you? Yeah. So, um, so I was, a I got a scholarship to the university of Illinois to run tracks around the 400 and, and I picked my, my college, I did all my own recruiting. My parents didn't go on visits with me. I, I just, I went to colleges by myself as a 17 year old. And, um, and I picked the decision purely on what was the best program for, uh, the university of Illinois had a top 400 meter group at the time. There was a couple of guys who ran an Olympic trials for us and, it was, it was the top 400 meter group. I was like, great, I'll just go there. Um, and then when I got there, I realized I was, I was at such a different level than those guys. I was, I was good enough to be on scholarship, but I was nowhere near, uh, Olympian level. Um, and I still hadn't get quite given up the dream yet. So, which is why I, I studied kinesiology. I was like, well, 
I'll try to soak up every bit of help I can to see if I can, if I can do something with, with my career and I'll learn about training and learn about how to take care of myself. Um, and then after freshman, sophomore year, I was like quite, quite a realization that I was like, no matter what, I, it, it was not happening for me and that that was okay. And so, um, I actually took a pause after university of Illinois, uh, and, and within the athletic space and, and worked for a, a nonprofit for a year. I was just kind of burnt out on, on sports and was dealing with some depression, leaving track because that was my identity pretty much my entire life. Uh, and then, and then once I was, uh, working at a nonprofit, that's when I realized there's something here missing. There's a part of me that, that I need to, to fulfill. And I, and I realized it was, the, it was that coaching element. And, and so luckily I could fall back on the Kines degree and, and kind of get back into where I'm at now and in a space mm-hmm. where I felt like, uh, I belonged a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Reflect on that a little bit because, you know, a, a lot of people um, in the perform- human performance industry suffer burnout over time because I think because to some degree, not everybody's always clear on why they're doing it or in some sense uh, how much it's going to take take from them. And, and also, um, I think there's this kind of awakening um, of identity and recognizing that you're not just your job. And so you you had an awakening a little bit early in your life. How has that served you in your work, like recognizing that maybe being too tied to I'm a 400-meter runner was not necessarily a healthy thing in some sense for you? You know, it's, it's funny that uh, you say I had an awakening. For me, it, it was... Uh, so dealing with the depression early, that was maybe the second bout for me. Um, but it wasn't until really a year ago that I realized like I've actually had a series of, of depression throughout my life when I'm not aligned with my values. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, David Joyce was somebody that, that I've, I've spent a lot of time with and it has helped me realize that the depression is actually a beautiful sign for me that, that something within my life something that's really important to me isn't getting the attention it needs. Um, and so even up until again, as, as of recently as a, a year ago, I've, I've dealt with depression on and off. And, and now it's a, it's a yellow flag not a red flag, but a yellow flag of, of need for examination. And for me, it really comes down to a lot of self self care and self love like that, that, that is an area that I am not prioritizing in a way that, that I probably need to. Um, and so it's, it's certainly been really challenging within sports because it's, I wouldn't say a, an, an area that really embraces, um, self-love taking care of oneself in terms of what needs are. I mean, looking at divorce rates of coaches or, or burnout or space away from kids, things like that, that, that are major problems. Um, you know, I, I've tried to, um, reframe it a little bit for myself and, and make sure I'm, I'm creating those, those, uh, yeah, spaces to, to take care of mm. myself. You know, uh, I, I never actually really liked running. I hated it. Uh, I loved the competition, um, mm. um, from it. It was to me the best form of competition out there, but I actually hated running. Uh, and within the last year, I've kind of rediscovered a love for it because it's something that's really tied deep down in, in, in me, uh, something I've spent so many hours doing that, uh, a form of self-care and, and, and self-love that just having having a space to express that and and prioritize it, which is hard with young kids. It's hard with the family. It's hard moving around. Sure, like lots of things that that people in, in sports have to deal with. And and for me, it took 
a number of serious bouts of depression to realize like, if I don't actually address this, uh, this is just going to keep popping up. Uh, and I maybe can use the off season, which has typically happened. That's kind of month, two months to like come back to life. Uh, mm-hmm. and then I just do it again and get into this really dark place and then use the off season to come back to life. And it's like, this is not sustainable or advantageous for my family or my, or myself. So, um, really prioritizing that I'm worth it. I'm worth taking care of myself. That's awesome. I love that. I'm going to unpack more of that as we go along here. So you, uh, you do your degree and when do you get the bug for actually being a performance professional? When do, when do you recognize that that's something you can do professionally and want to aspire to do professionally? Yeah. So, uh, as I mentioned, my first job out of college was at a nonprofit and and from there I, I did it for a year and was, was dealing with depression. So I realized I actually needed to get out for a little bit and, and take some time. And so I moved to Cuba for, uh, eight weeks, um, to just live life. And I had no agenda and no time I was coming back. I was like, I'll stay as long as they'll let me and I'll, I'll figure it out. And, and while I was there, um, I realized it, it was, it was coaching that I was missing. It was helping, um, other people kind of discover this, this belief in themselves. Um, and realize that with that aha moment, that light switch moment when they can lift a weight they couldn't lift or, or perform a movement they can perform. I was just having that, uh, was a, a realization for me. I was like, I need to get back into this. Um, and, and that's when I, I moved it back to the U S and, uh, started applying to grad schools and, and realized like, all right, if I want to coach, I'm going to need a master's degree and I need to, I need to do this, um, for real because one of, again, another of my, values would be, would be excellence. I hate just kind of opting into things a little bit. Like if I'm going to go in, I'm, I'm in all the way. And so it's like, I'll get a master's degree and, and, and get back into coaching, uh, in in college and and do it for real. And so Hmm. it was during that, that time off that I realized, um, this is a space I needed to to get back to and, and do at a high level. Hmm. So you start working in, um, in soccer and uh, then a little bit of basketball, uh, mostly East coast. It looks like how does going to the West coast and working for the Seattle Sounders happen for you? Sure. So I'm, I'm at, uh, Charlotte, uh, university of North Carolina, Charlotte had never really worked soccer before. Uh, the men men's, uh, soccer head coach and I, hit it off on an interview. And I realized like this guy was doing VO two max testing. He was doing sprint profiling as a head coach of his soccer team. And I was like, man, this guy cares so much about what he's doing. I really care about what I'm doing. And we just like hit it off. And I was like, listen, I don't know anything about soccer. I can't, I can't help you there, but I, on the you know, performance side of things, I think I could definitely um, bring a little bit. And so right away, our relationship was just really deep, uh, recognizing here are my limitations. Here's what I bring. And he did the, the same for, from his end. And after our, for my first year there, he said, all right, well, I think it'd be great for you to go to an MLS club and, and learn a little bit, uh, and see what you can kind of steal and bring back to us. And I said, okay, great. He goes, well, give me, give me a list of places you want to go to. And so I just picked the places I had family so I could stay for free, uh, and cities I would want to go to. It was, it was LA, Seattle, Chicago, and New York. I was like, any one of those would be great. I can stay for free. And he happened to know somebody in Seattle. So I came out here for a week, uh, met Dave Tenney, Chad Kalarsic, Ravi Ravami, uh, Brandon Moran. It was just a wonderful group. Um, and I spent a week out here. I got to sit in staff meetings, see what they were doing, uh, 
And I was thought to myself, like, one day I really want to work there. I want to work with those guys. They're brilliant. They have something really special going on. Um, and then it took two years. Uh, in 2016, I came out for the sports science seminar. We were out to lunch. I was like, hey, guys, if anything comes up, like, I'm, I'm really interested in, in coming out here. I would love to, to work with you guys. Just let me know. Uh, and a few weeks later, uh, Jared Phillips had left uh, to go to another MLS job and something opened up and they gave me a call. And so, so my wife and I moved from, from Charlotte out to Seattle and it's been now I'm in my seventh season with the club. Wow. I love those stories. Those are, I love those stories for the listener because a lot of people kind of go, well, is this ever going to happen for me? And it's always kind of these circuitous things that happen. I'm wondering actually kind of maybe if you can talk a little bit about your, um, call it learning curve as a, an athlete who competed in an individual sport, which was very much individual competition, both against yourself and against the person that's running beside you to now working in soccer, which is very much a team, you know, it is as team as team gets in a sense, uh, you have to work together to achieve that goal. What did, what did you learn in, in working in a team sport uh, after being a competitive athlete in an individual sport in some sense? For me, and, and to this day, I would say it still applies. Uh, it makes me keep the, the beginner's mind because uh, I've always approached my athletes, the coaches, like, listen, I'm not, I didn't play. I'm not going to tell you how to be, uh, we're not going to talk tactics. Like I will stay within my lane to a degree. Uh, and, but the things I think I can't help you on, like I'll go deep. We can really, really get into it. And so it's, it's allowed me to build trust and respect, um, with, with the athletes and, uh, staff I work with, because like, you know, in, in some sense, I'm not really a threat. I'm not going to mm-hmm. say, well, in my day, I, in my career, I did this. Um, I don't have a favorite team that I followed. Like I wasn't a soccer guy growing up. I played football and, and basketball. And, you know, so as, uh, in some sense, I'm an out, outsider in a lot of ways. And that's allowed me a lot of safety, uh, with other people because they know what they're, everybody knows exactly what they're going to get with me hundred percent of the time. You know, I, I am exactly who I am all the time. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's allowed me to, to be really successful there because I'm not trying to show up athletes in, in a certain way or prove something. Like if there's an area I think it can help, I speak on it. And if not, that's okay. Cause most areas that's, that's not my world. And, uh, and you know, they're, some of our athletes, kids are better soccer players than I am and that's okay. Uh, so, um, I think it's just the, the constant willingness to, to, to know way less than everybody else to be, uh, have, have no ego in things because I, I can't, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I can't afford mm-hmm. to, to pretend like I know more than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think over time, people realize that, uh, maybe up front when they see, I can't play soccer that well, or, um, whatever, there's a little bit of hesitation. And then they realize straight away, like there are things I, I, I can uh, help you on because I'll, I'll speak on them and, and we can hopefully they can see, ac- um, actual change in their, mm-hmm. in their performance, how they're feeling, uh, what they're thinking about the way they approach things, et cetera. So how have you managed the, um, the art of managing the individual within the team constraint or the key- team, you know, what the coach needs or what the team needs versus what the individual needs. How is, how have you, or do you have a, an essence around how you kind of format those two things in your own mind, like, you know, making sure that the individual is being taken care of, but also recognizing that you can't be a completely an individualized 
um, approach because everybody's got to do things that are sometimes compromise centric for the team goal. Yeah. I think I'm incredibly fortunate now to have the staff uh, that we do within the Saunders. Um, Adam Centofani is our head of fitness, Megan Young, uh, strength coach, Ash, Ash Mead, our, um, is our sports scientist. And honestly, I charge a lot of, uh, Adam and Megan with, with really, uh, diving deep on, in terms of the individual, like mm -hmm. they have their own set group of players that they, they kind of monitor and, and prioritize. Uh, and I want them to know everything, think about, um, and really worry about just those individuals. And then that allows me to have a little bit more of this, the space to think, well, what does the group needs recognizing there's going to be some players that are upset with a decision that the coaching staff makes or that I make, or overall, uh, my focus is, is on the group needs, uh, the group dynamics, recognizing that, that, that isn't going to be what's best for everybody. Um, mm -hmm. but by having the balance of incredible staff who do such a good job taking, taking care of thinking about prioritizing the individual needs. I know that they're going to get uh, taken care of. And then that allows me the, the, the freedom to, to think about the group with that, that, that personal connection of like, well, I know it's going to disappoint this guy and he's really important to me, which is still true. I still have to sit with those, those hard decisions, but mm -hmm. I know that their needs will be met because uh, Adam and Megan and Ash can, can really take care of it. Mm -hmm. Well, and coming back to what we were talking about earlier about um, your recognition of self-care and how have you um, mentored, uh, managed, um, addressed those things with your own staff now that you're in the role that you're in and sort of maybe reinventing the way a sports team takes care of one another in the, in the staff side of things? Yeah, that's, uh, I constantly think about you know, it wasn't long that I was in, um, their shoes and I've been in every single role within the Saunders performance department. So thinking about well, what did I need, uh, when I was in that role, what are the needs of the role? And so a lot of around communication of, of time off, uh, prioritizing and, and mandating time with, you know, families for their, for my staff. Um, you know, I, all, they all want to work. They're all so driven um, and saying, okay, great. On this trip, I'm going to go. You're not going to go. So plan something fun. Um, communicating when there's extended time off. Okay, what are you going to do on this trip? Um, and then also a big one for me is giving us the staff freedom. I think each of them are better at their respective jobs than I could have ever been. So I don't try to um, tell them how to do their job better than then I think they can, because I, I think they, they know what they need within their job. Um, so to give them the freedom, obviously I, I might disagree or there'll be some guidance for sure, but to, to actually give them the freedom to, to do their job the way they think it's necessary. Um, because I, I do think that they're all, Megan's a better strength coach than, than I could have ever been. Adam mm -hmm. is incredible on the field and, and running rehabs and running team. Like I can't tell him how to do that because he is so much better than, than I could have ever been. Um, and so to, to, to take the, the, the step back, which for me is definitely hard, uh, because I've had to do this, do some of those roles before and, and, and being in that individual space, um, has allowed me to get to where I'm at now. So it, it then to, to switch gears and say, okay, now you have the freedom. And although I've done it, I'm not going to advise you too much. I'm going to, I'm going to let you make the mistakes. I'm going to let you figure it out what works or doesn't work. Um, and 
I, I think uh, it's it's gone well. Our staff is incredible, and and I think we're 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 I'm certainly really happy with with those guys, and and I know our athletes are too, uh, because th- their quality of care now is is infinitely better than uh, when it was it was just me because uh, because of Adam and, and Megan and Ash. That's awesome. So you moved to Seattle. When did you meet the the lady you call your? wife Brooke and how does that uh, relationship begin for you yeah um um I'm very fortunate that Brooke uh chose me to be her husband and I can't believe she's been on the journey she has with me we met uh in New York City so right when I come back from Cuba I moved to New York City um and she and I met there um and we were both working independently and and within six months of us meeting is when I decided uh or Brooke and I decided together that we had moved to Miami so I could pursue my master's degree. And so even though we were just, had just been dating for a few months, we both moved to Miami and, um, I stopped working, uh, completely because I was in school, uh, and Brooke financially supported me throughout the entire time. And and we moved to Miami. Uh, we're there for just one year. Uh, I was able to complete my master's program in, in 10 months, um, just kind of get in, knock it out, and then get back to the workforce because uh, I knew that's kind of what was needed. Um, and then we moved to Charlotte, uh, which is where I was working for the men's soccer program. And uh, while we were in Charlotte, uh, Brooke and I started our business together. Uh, we really started our real life uh, together there. And then from Charlotte, coming out to to Seattle together. So um, Brooke has been on quite a journey uh, uh, with me, and I, I've been on one with her exploring exploring the U.S. really together and growing up because we were 25 or so when we met. And then now at, at, at 35, uh, life is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. How was the West Coast uh, transformation from sort of uh, U- East, East End, sort of Chicago-y, kind of New York-y, all of those big East Coast uh, uh, cities to go to the West Coast now? Was it a culture shock or a culture uh, comfort? How, how did that go? just different, a wonderful experience. I, I certainly, I, I love the big dirty cities. Like that's where I, I thrive. I, I love it. Uh, and so coming out to Seattle and, and discovering, um, the beauty that's out here and the adventure that's here has just been, been different and, in uh, allowed opportunities that I never would have gotten otherwise, you know, to be able to go hiking in 15 minutes, you know, live, live, and then just go drive with our kids and, and to be able to be lost in the mountains is an experience I never thought I would have. I certainly never expected to live out here. So uh, Brooke is originally from California. So coming West coast was certainly uh, good for her and to be a little bit closer to her family. Um, but for me, it's been, it's been wonderful. I, I have, I thought I would live in Chicago my whole life and never leave. Uh, and uh, I left in 2010 and, and haven't been back yet. So um it's just another opportunity to learn and, and, and see a wonderful part of the U S um, that I never expected to. So it's been, and uh, the interesting thing for me is by the time I was 18 years old, I'd lived in 18 separate houses and uh, same thing by the time I was 30 and I'd already lived in 30 houses. So I've moved a lot my life. Uh, uh-huh. And so, so I've actually lived in Seattle as long as I've lived uh, in anywhere, <laughs> which is wild to think about that. Um, this has been this has been my home as much as Chicago has been my home growing up. How has that affected you, like moving so much, or how has it served you, and how has it challenged you? Sure, uh, it, it served me because I, it's allowed 
Brooke and I to be on this journey where, um, the life we want, we can create together. We weren't, um, set that we have to live in New York for the rest of our lives, which would have presented some, some challenges with career advancement and for both of us. And, and the challenges have certainly been community, um, roots, um, stability, you know, having to start all over again, uh, every year, every two years is, has presented a lot of challenges. Um, but you know, early on in our twenties, um, is a little bit easier to, to manage. Uh, and then now, you know, with two young kids being a little bit later and, you know, in our, in our mid thirties now it's, our priorities are, are different. So the stability, the, the connection to, to the Seattle, the, the roots of, of our life has, has allowed us to focus on that in a way that we probably wouldn't have. I, I know I wouldn't have wanted to do earlier on my twenties. Cause I just wanted to, I, all I knew was moving and seeing new experiences. And, and so it, it was a pattern that I recognized and, mm-hmm. and with, we're familiar with. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, I, I grew up living out of a backpack, uh, because my parents were divorced and I would kind of, we moved a ton. So I, I never really had things. I don't have a, a huge attachment to, to stuff or a mm-hmm. house that I'm familiar with. Like I, all my things I could pretty much be fine without, like I've, the, because I, I just always had to get rid of them. And, and so that's a, that's a pattern I'm, I'm familiar with. Hmm. That's awesome. In many ways, it's quite serving to be uh, capable of that. Um, a lot of people struggle with that. Um, I'm kind of curious um, what instigated your decision to sort of organize a virtual sports science summit uh, summit or, or seminar with the organization. Where did that, um, what was the genesis of that and, and the purpose of that? Yeah. Um, so that was something the, the Seattle Sounders sports science seminar was something Dave Tenney started, I don't know, maybe 2012, 2013, somewhere in that range, um, and ran for probably six years or so. And my first, uh, like I said, I, in 2016, I came to it as an attendee and I joined the club a few weeks later. And then in 2017, I got to help him plan a little bit, which was really special for me. Um, and then Dave and Chad left at the end of the the 2017 season. Um, and 2018, I was like, you know what, I think I'm going to do this, but it was, it was such a big change leaving, uh, having staff turnover within the performance department. that I was like, I just don't think I can, I can take it over. Um, so 2019, uh, planned a in-person one. It was very similar format to, to one Dave had, had done, uh, in the past, I'd kind of seen his model. He had, he had already built so much. He laid so much, uh, groundwork for the seminar that, um, it was just exciting thing to do. I had never done planned a, a conference before. So I was like, this will be uh, a great opportunity to connect with people. And, um, so I planned it, planned it in, in 2019 and then had already, as soon as, uh, the conference was done in July by August, I had some ideas of what I wanted 2020 to look like and, um, ways to kind of evolve a little bit. And then the pandemic hits. Um, and so I had gone from, oh, I'm going to have this beautiful in-person thing to, oh, I guess clearly we're not going to do a conference. Like there's a, a global pandemic doesn't make sense to gather people. Um, and uh, as the Sounders um, developed their COVID-19 relief fund, which was for the stadium workers, businesses surrounding our stadium, um, so many of the, the members of the community that were impacted by us not filling the stadium and, and games not happening. Um, it just 
for whatever reason, I was like, you know what, maybe I can just do this online. Like my family had actually been doing zoom calls for the last year, uh, because we live all over. And so I was pretty familiar with zoom prior to it, obviously everybody knowing it now. Uh, and I was like, you know what, maybe we can do this online. And so within two weeks, uh, pulled together the conference because I had already put in the kind of groundwork of, of what I, what the vision was. Um, and then it was really around, well, how much, what ways can we make this accessible? Uh, and what ways can we really support the community? And so just pivoting to the online, uh, format really worked and was wonderful. We had attendees from 33 countries, uh, and the amount of people that reached out to say like, thank you for making this so affordable. It was $50. Uh, you know, I've wanted to, to come to the seminar, but obviously it's in Seattle. So coming from Uganda is not really an option to come out for a weekend, but now I could. And it, that was, that was such a, I was so motivated to, to help the, the community that it made it a really fun project and I had never done it before. So it was a, it was a huge challenge. Uh, and I'm somebody who's quite driven by, by big challenges. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a wonderful experience and incredibly hard to do it in two weeks. <laughs> I had a similar experience in the sense that I organized a hockey summit and I'd started the first one in, I was going to drop it in June of 2020 and also excited to bring people to Mont Tremble and boom. But I had been on Zoom for quite a while and uh, it's funny to watch the genesis of all of that over time, but uh, that's, this is not about me, this is about you. But So with that in mind, I'm going to read you from my day, my book, The Day You Were Born, which when I first read this, I was like, I think this is going to line up with this guy. Um, <laughs> you are February 9th, right? You're born yep. February Yeah. So you're an Aquarius 9. And your purpose is to work all your talents and skills around your spiritual goal, instructing others by imposing your views and ideas on the collective conscious. The crowd gives the leader new strength, Avenius, Roman scholar. Aquarius nines are meant to lead. They have their own unique way of handling things and get others to go along. Their mission is to succeed and to use their success to make a difference in the world. The problem is they're too talented and are pulled in too many directions. It's important for them to have a strong spirit spiritual goal around which to focus their lives. Action-oriented, they move more quickly than most people can handle. They need to be able to relax and let themselves be led by instinct. Aquarius nines are psychic, intuitive, and creative. Their minds are sharp and go right to the heart of the problem. They need to master patience. Their hearts are big and they want to help everyone. They need to learn how to give and still keep something for themselves. Quick break here. We'll be back with our guest, in just a moment. We've been lucky at Leave Your Mark since the very beginning almost that Matrix Fitness has come on as our main sponsor and they remain steadfast to this program because they know how it serves the community at large the same way they serve the human performance community as well. And Basically, if you need something in the world of human performance, whether it's to build a performance facility or training facility or fitness facility, whether it's a home facility you're trying to build or a hybrid facility out of the garage to work with clients, it doesn't really matter what the actual goal is. They have a product for you. They have the equipment and they have the service capacity to make sure that you're getting what you need when you need it for what you need it for. And that's the key is they are a full service organization. They are worldwide. They are one of the biggest 
equipment manufacturers in the world for human performance, and they remain dedicated to bringing great products every day to you, the consumer, so that you can do what it is you need to do, which is take care of your clients and or take care of yourself. I encourage you to go over to Team Up with matrix.ca and check out their products today. Ask them the questions you need answers to, and they will do their best to take care of you. Thanks again, Matrix, for taking care of LYM. Do you struggle with finding the reason why your client keeps coming back to you with the same injury problem or why your client that you're training is having limitations in their performance? Do you find yourself challenged with how to progress the exercises that you're going to do or regress them or understand what actually is going on with their movement and what may need to be tweaked or changed or cleaned up so that they can function more appropriately and perform better? Do you find it challenging sometimes to work in or with other practitioners and professionals so that you can create a solution for the clients or the team or the organization that you're with? Well, reconditioning is all about providing you with an operating system for navigating those environments and those situations. It is a fundamental process that scripts and brings together the worlds of therapy and performance in uh, a way that no one else is really doing. It brings together applied neurology, the foundation of uh, why we move and how we move, and gives you the tools to make the changes and understand where you can take your tool set and be more tactical with it and get greater intervention uh, outcomes and better outcomes in general for your athletes and for your clients in general. So this is not just a system for athletes. It's a system for every human being. And we also believe that every human being is some form of athlete. So we need to look at the human being, what it is that the human wants to do and take care of business when it comes to getting them prepared to do what they want to do. So if you're interested in upgrading your professional practice, Run over to reconditioninghq.com today and take a look at our offerings. Uh, We have a beautiful course curriculum and program that takes you from point A to point Z, or Z if you like Z better than Z, and helps you take care of uh, all the people that you need to take care of on a daily basis. A reminder that the doors are open for application to the LYM Life Lab that begins right at the start of May, and this month we'll be taking applications, sorting out who's going to be a part of this program. We want people who are dedicated to self-reflection and growth and contribution and want to make a change in their world and be the best they can be. I suggest you head over to lymlab.com today. Check out the program on the LYM Life Lab page. If you want to, there are two free downloads there that you can jump on um, just to get you started with instigating change in your world and uh, working on your mindset and other skills that we're going to be dumping into and having a lot of fun with in the program. There's a lot to it. Uh, If you read the fine print, so to speak, on that page, 
the Leave Your Mark Life Lab page, you'll see some of the different things that you're going to be learning, the things we're going to be doing, and how we're going to operate through this next year. I want to uh, invite anybody who wants to instigate change in their lives and create the best situation for themselves under the guidance of mentorship and community jump on it today Uh, head over there and apply and if you've got any questions just feel free to pm me take care we're back enjoy the podcast now i've only known you for an hour and i would say that reads like uh like you uh pretty pretty uh pretty squarely it's kind of (laughs) interesting yeah that uh that's uh, incredibly surprising. Like that, that feels really, really true in a lot of uh, conflicting ways for me. Uh, that totally makes sense. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm speechless, but pretty close. Yeah, it's really wild. Um, well, I wanted to read it there because I know you. You know, we talked about the social consciousness and it being something that's important to you. And obviously, there's a thread of that in your purpose and who you are. So, tell me about like Seattle's gone through a lot over the last uh, you know three years with the the pandemic, and then you know you guys were right in the thick of a lot of uh, Black Lives Matter stuff and um, riots in the streets and things that were probably not you know something that Seattle many people expected to see in that city, so to speak, over the years. So how has that sort of affected you and what is it you're trying to do? What is your mission within the community and from the perspective of social justice? Sure. Uh, um, as I mentioned, like prior, I've lived in Seattle almost as long as I've lived anywhere else in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the first time in a really, really long time, like I'm home, like Seattle is, is, is a place I associate with home. And most of my life, I've just been moving from one place to the next. And um, one of my close friends, Joshua Forty, works for the team as well as a former player, as a coach. Um, And we just used to talk uh, all the time, almost, you know, daily on the phone in in the mornings and just recognize that specifically within social justice work here that uh, there was a case, Manny Ellis uh, from Tacoma, Washington, a man killed by the police. It's so similar to George Floyd. Like if you remove most of the the name and location, like the, the cases are almost identical. And uh, and Manny Ellis's case got no major attention. No, um, there was there wasn't much being done about it. Most people focused on um, some broader broader cases. And and Joshua and I, our conversations just realized like there's a lot of work to be done here in Washington and specifically in Seattle. It's a super liberal place, but we have so many issues here. There's been so many um, cases of, of people murdered by police violence and, and that it was time to, to focus some of our efforts and connect with some of the, the folks here doing, doing a lot of the, the groundwork and have been organizing for, for years. And, and so what we tried to do with the athletic justice collective was just create a space for people within athletics to explore uh opting into to social justice work getting getting familiar with their their communities having really uncomfortable conversations um specifically as as a white person i you know i don't want to say the wrong thing i don't want to do the wrong thing and i know a lot of people within um sports and specifically that 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 i know want to opt in but they're like they weren't sure what to do so we just started organizing some zoom calls and and teach-ins and and ways for people to um, start exploring issues that they care about, um, whether that's, you know, speaking in school and, and mentorship, 
Um, we did, we organized some clothing and food drives, worked with, um, a mutual aid organization here, um, and just really finding what resonated and being able to opt in, in a way that, that felt safe because we weren't publicizing, you know, the, the various athletes within the community. There was, wasn't like an open invite to anybody. It was really, if you plan a sports team, you work for a sports team, you know, we're all used to being from other places. Very few people are from Seattle but Seattle is home. So I was like, let's spend a little bit of time and effort and energy um, here and, and make an impact at home because there's a lot of work to be done here and not just in, Oh, well, you know, racism is only in the South or mm. um, you know, because here in Washington, again, there's, there's tons of tons of issues. And we just, I, I felt compelled to, to do something with, with my time. Uh, and like I said, for me, my, my time on, on earth, I want to make it purposeful. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and for a place that I call home, like we, I realize if I'm not doing something, then I can't complain about it. I can't say there's a problem if I'm, if I'm not actively working on trying to be the solution to the mm -hmm. problem. Um, and so that was kind of the, the genesis behind athletic justice collective and, and really, um, learning ways in which I can make an impact and, and support, um, anti-racism work and specifically, you know, as, as a white man here, what, what, what am I doing about it? Because, uh, I have a lot of responsibility to, to take care of at least within my community and, and support the black community and, and, and do something productive with my mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, I'm kind of, I want to splinter here for a second with, um, you work in, in the, world's sport so to speak so it's one of the few sports in the world that's really as big as it is and as universal as it is and so by nature it brings together a lot of cultures a lot of different backgrounds of people and i don't know your team per se but i'm sure you have players from all over the, the globe so to speak um what has working in that league and working in that sport um and recognizing the difference in how people see problems, see issues, see, you know, their perspective, how it is different based on their cultural background, et cetera. What has that taught you and informed you in your process of social justice consideration as well? Yeah, it's been really interesting working at the Sounders. Again, we have probably up to 15, 17 different countries represented on our team and um, most of our black players up until recently have were non-American. So hearing their perspective on some of the uh, social justice issues was really interesting because it was so different than, um, some of the, the black players that are American and also some that are really similar. So it's, it's caused me to, to further investigate what ways I'm offering support, what ways I'm a co-conspirator in, in terms of making change and not applying a, a one size fits all approach mm -hmm. because, you know, some of our, our black players who are Hispanic and, and don't speak English as a, as a first language have different hurdles that they have to address. And, and culturally they deal with racism in a, in a different way than, than Americans. And so there's, there's certainly a, a, uh, unity in, in creating a, a more equitable society here. Um, but the approach to do so doesn't work the same with every, with every player in terms of giving them a space to opt in or the mm -hmm. things that they're interested in or the, the places that they're, they're comfortable with. 
um, and, and how they want to work. So it's, it's, it's really, it's been a challenge for me to, to continue to figure out ways of, of how to, to how to support, um, players and, and within the work itself that, um, really learning about any different way, different options to, to, to create change and, and be productive. Like I said, I, I, I don't ever want to be idle because then I don't get to say anything. I, I have to, I have to opt out because I, if I'm not doing something about it, then there's no, there's no complaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because like uh, a lot of, fr- from my perspective, a lot of what is racism is based on sort of a, an intentional or unintentional ignorance. Uh, so we, we, we don't really understand the person across from us. And so therefore we become fearful of what they are, or what they represent. And it's, it's this idea of actually taking the time to communicate and connect with somebody, which what we do in sport performance is um, that's a very, very important part of meeting the person where they are, so to speak, or understanding them. So I'm always kind of curious, and I ask this of different people who work uh, in sport, especially when it comes to multiculturalism, how you've met people where they are um, and sort of recognize what they come to you with whether that's their experience in the gym or their experience in you know um of or their trust of somebody who's hired by the team or all these kinds of things so how how do you work to meet the person across from you where they are so to speak to me that's the the wonderful part about um my job and, and working in sport is I love connecting with people. So, mm. uh, it's the, always the challenge of, of building trust and, and connecting in, in, on some level to let players and, and myself know that, you know, I care about them deeply. Um, I care about what makes them tick, um, and what their background is like, what, what are they interested in? What does their life look like? Um, I, I love learning about people. And so for me, it's just, uh, yeah. And an opportunity to, to further dig in again, whether that's in the gym or about anti-racism work, like it's, it's just a, another opportunity to, to learn about people's backgrounds, their families, um, because, uh, the relationship aspect of, of, of this sport is so interesting to me. That's mm. the, the, one of my main drivers is that, that connection to, to the community, to the players, to the staff. Um, and so there is there, I, I have no, special approach other than just, uh, trying to be myself and, and be a, a, an open listener, mm. um, you know, a- ask questions without a, um, uh, a specific goal that I need to accomplish with them. I was like, can I, and, and again, some people opt in and it's within one conversation, we're like already on the same wavelength and we get to, you know, rock and roll. And, and some people, it just takes a little bit more time, whether that's again, to get them to do something on the field or, or not. Mm. Um, and uh, as long as I'm comfortable with, uh, what, with what we're doing or, or not doing, um, and I, and I recognize that, then, then that's okay. It's a, it's a, it's a long, it's a long year and we spend a lot of time together. So mm. I'm, I'm an, I'm a pretty patient and very impatient person at the same time. <laughs> So speaking of patience and impatience, uh, you have, um, you're in this job, you're in Seattle, you've been there a couple of years and now you have this little girl named Stella. So how does that change you? Um, and how does that affect maybe the way you approach your work or, or life in general, becoming a dad? Yeah, it's, uh, it's the best, uh, absolutely the best. Um, and to me, 
Stella has helped me um, look in the mirror every day because days when I come home and I'm really tired or emotionally um, off, if I've had some hard interactions with players or staff or, or, or something like that, uh, she doesn't know and she doesn't care. Uh, she just wants dad to be home and to be present. So it's really caused me to, to look in the mirror. And like I said, prioritize that self-care. Like, am I really taking care of myself in a way that I can show up for, for my family and, um, my wife and my community, my, my family. Uh, so it's, it's really hard because I, I feel like I, I don't want to just like take days off. I can't just use the I'm tired excuse or, you know, um, Oh, I got home late from traveling. So, you know, I'm not going to take you to school tomorrow uh, because she doesn't care if we, if we win or lose, you know, she, her favorite, we just won uh, uh, a tournament that no MLS team has ever won. It was a huge deal. Stella was at the game. And the thing she was most excited about was the confetti on the field. She was like, I was in heaven. I got to play with all the confetti. I was like, that's all she cared about. Uh, so it, it, she does help keep me, keep me really grounded and present and, and, a constant reminder that, that I'm modeling, whether good things or bad things, she's paying attention and learning to how I show up in the world. Um, and so I, I hope to show up in a, in a, a space where she's learning, um, some positive things, even though I know, uh, I will mess her up in some way as, as all parents do. Um, but it's a, she's such a blessing to have to, to come home to every day, like my little man Jones as well. As you've, uh, you've obviously done good work to have, uh, ascended to the position that you're at at this point in your career with Seattle. Um, how do, how do you, um, position yourself or surround yourself with, um, counsel that supports what you're, you know, the, the gaps that maybe you have in your own, um, growth and learning. So who, who do you lean on to sort of go, Hey, I, I have this problem and I'm not really sure how to, to address it. What would you do kind of thing? Yeah. My approach is kind of threefold there, maybe even four of, um, first allies within the club. Um, so people within the club that have known me for a long time and, and seen me throughout the various roles, like, like I said earlier on the call, I am who I am a hundred percent of the time. So, um, I ask a lot of questions and I, really appreciate hard feedback. I prefer that more than Sean, you're doing a great job. Uh, keep going. Like I, I really like learning and I like the, the critical feedback. So ask asking for it and not being, um, I try not to, to be too emotional about the response and reactionary to it. Listen. Um, so that, that is at the, the easiest level. And then, um, the harder level is I've been, with, I've been working with a therapist for a long time. Um, because I know I, I have a lot of, of my own issues to work through in terms of uh, how I present in the world and, and who I am. Um, and so trying to, to address those. And then the kind of medium, uh, is I work with an executive coach, um, somebody that I can, um, work with to, to be an advocate for me. His, his only, uh, care is my development, my growth. And so to, you know, I spent a year and a half, um, in that relationship where trying to cultivate and, and improve my craft, uh, and have somebody that is, is an advocate for me. And his only objective is, is, is that, um, so that's been really, really helpful. Uh, those three. And then, and then the fourth would be just uh, Brooke at home. Um, she's the person that knows me best and, um, loves me for who I am. And so I can, I can be however I am 
Um, and she know she knows what makes me tick and, and what I'm about with. She is not afraid to call me on, uh, certainly not afraid to, uh, um, areas of, of improvement. And also she's a, she's helped me celebrate more and, and, and have, have more joy in my life, uh, and really charged me to, to, to show up in ways that, um, are recognizing, um, accomplishments and, and not just moving on to the next one. So mm-hmm. having people that are within my corner to, to keep, uh, advising and pushing and, um, help helping me grow. Mm-hmm. You've been in, in this industry sort of, um, and your growth paradigm has been in, in sort of what I would call the technological uh, adventure in some sense. So how have you, um, negotiated um the the essence of what our profession was before technology and what it is now in essence and how and how you uh broker the the best use of technology and and the misuse of technology at this point in your career sure i mean i think anybody that knows me knows i I am not the smartest guy out there i am not the most advanced coach so the things i look for are like making sure we're doing the easy basic stuff, right. And really well and communicating well and, and making sure everybody is on the same page. And we're literally squeezing as much juice out of the basic stuff as we can within any environment, you know, the, the, the staff that we have, whether however good, bad, or indifferent they are, like, what's the, what's the most we can get. Um, and then where are our little, little areas of improvement? Is there, where are the gaps that may be filled with something or not like technology is, is wonderful. And, um, and also can, can certainly present challenges. So I'm, I'm by no means afraid of introducing new technology to our group, but it has to be really purposeful. And, uh, I try to be really mindful of touch points with athletes, like super protective, even within our own staff, if they have interviews or PR or media related things, like what kind of touch points are we forcing players to do so that we're not just asking of them, Um, and I think technology can be a space in which, you know, how can we hide monitoring in terms of what we're doing? So it's not an additional step for them. If it's in within a gym lift or within their daily routine, uh, I just try to be protective of that. Um, but uh, I do, I am, I would say I'm more skeptical to introducing new things in, um, unless there's a really good reason or a really good purpose behind, um, yeah behind introducing it. And and maybe that means I'm slower and we're missing out on gains. And like, I, I'll live with that as long as um, our players feel like they're, they're, they're getting all of their needs met and are getting served really well. And we might be missing that extra 1%, 2%, 10% somewhere. Um, I, I can live with that as long as um, they're being taken care of. Mm, nice. So, um, you'd get to go back in a time machine and meet the guy who just lost his 400 meter running dream and is in a bit of a depression. What would you say to him now? Uh, man, the same thing I, I I'm working on learning and telling myself right now is that yeah, I'm worthy of love and, uh, of self-care and it, it's okay to, to take care of myself that, um, you know, being, being tied to accomplishments, being a tied to, uh, things from the outside are, don't matter. I, I am who I am and I'm enough as, as is, uh, mm. imperfect as I am. Um, at, 
that that's okay. And so, um, yeah, a, a message I'm still, I'm still trying to, uh, learn. <laughs> awesome. I love that as a self-profession for everybody to hear. So, uh, you know, we need, we need more of that in the industry. So people understand, especially from leaders like yourself who are in the roles that you're in. So hopefully it gets better and better for people to work and to have good quality lives at the same time. So good on you, sir. Hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure to meet you. Uh, and I appreciate David uh, putting us together. And hopefully one day when I'm in Seattle, I can come watch a game and connect with you, sir. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, you have quite a, quite a gift um, that you're sharing with the world. And I, I'm honored to be a part of your podcast uh, and share space with you. So thank you for, for taking the time and creating time uh, to have a conversation with me. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate that. Take care. Okay. Take care. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.